I was asked to keep my introduction of uh, Dr. Mark Wilbanks brief. And so I'm not going to talk about him, I'm going to talk about me. Uh, I want to just share with you uh, my perspective uh, as I've grown up. Many of you were with us back in March when Cornelius Davis was here. I was privileged at the age of nine to be baptized by Cornelius. But but really, Cornelius uh, was not the pastor who who I look back on and, and remember investing in me because I was so young at that point. And as I got into middle school and high school and through college, it was Mark Wilbanks who was the pastor here at Southside. And, uh, and, and Mark uh, was, was faithful in his service here at the church. But as an individual who was a member of this church, I can tell you that uh, my family benefited from Mark's ministry in other ways as well. Uh, Mark was a loving and caring pastor. I, I can recall uh, when I first was uh, struggling to understand God's call on my life, I remember sitting in Mark's office. The pastor's office used to be right back here. And I remember the spot where I sat uh, that day, uh, a young high school student confused about what it meant to be in ministry. And uh, Mark spent some time with me that day and talked to me. Uh, That conversation still rings in my ears. And then uh, when I went off to seminary, it was Mark who offered counsel to me uh, as I was trying to select the place to go and what to do. Uh, And it, it was Mark, when I was ordained, who presided over my ordination. It was Mark who uh, stood here right in this very spot as Sherry and I exchanged our wedding vows. And there's a picture to prove it in the hall if you haven't already, if you haven't already seen it. Uh, and it was Mark who performed my mother's funeral. So Mark was truly not just uh, someone whose preaching impacted my life, but someone whose ministry uh, touched my life and my family as he touched many of yours as well. And so it is uh, a great privilege uh, to welcome Dr. Mark Wilbanks to the pulpit this morning. Thank you, Gary. We're uh, incredibly uh, humbled to be here. Um, I, have, I really have two sermons. The, the really short one is... Um, this is a really good church. Give all your money. Thanks for coming. <laughs> the second one I wanted to preach was, you know, it's 75 years, and I thought, you know, a minute a year would be good. Uh, Kim and I uh, have had such a good time. In fact, we were afraid we were going to lose our voices because we got to speak to a lot of you. And this is so incredibly special to us. Um, I would tell you that uh, the years I spent here, we spent here at Southside, have been the happiest in our ministry. Um, this, was, this is a great church. And uh, I've seen so many new faces, and that is ex- so exciting because we who stand at a distance, whether it's a near distance or a far distance, are praying for you, praying for God continue to bless you, and he is blessing you. If you don't know it, check your pulse. Uh, it's just wonderful to see what God's doing here. So there's new faces. I, I guess I shouldn't say old faces, but yeah, we are. Um, and they're missing faces. Um, 
Think about that. I walk into the halls and come into this place and realize, talking to families who's, who have such an investment in our, our church here at Southside. And there are, there are all kinds of personalities here. There's, there are people with multiple personalities here. <laughs> When I studied, it was a disorder. But <laughs> and to her, to her honor, I want to tell a very quick story because it, it it's uh, out of our family, our family history. Um, my father was serving at First Baptist Tampa. His parents were in town for a visit. It had not been long since Dad's younger brother had died from a cerebral hemorrhage. The second of uh, his siblings, his two siblings, who had passed away as young adults. So his parents were down in Tampa, and I think they were grieving together and helping my mom and dad settle into their new place at First Baptist Tampa. So it was um, a sad time, but also a, a very important family time. And because my father was new to the church, um, he was still in the process of finding his way. We kind of know how that works. Um, he was at the office and mom was at home in a little, little place on Morrison Avenue there in Tampa. And David was just a little guy. And my grandparents, uh, particularly my grandfather, was so good about teaching songs and doing silly things. And, and uh, he loved to read books to David. And there was one particular book that he loved to read to David. And he was reading that book when he looked out the window and he saw a woman coming. And she looked a lot like Beatrice, quite frankly. Um, she was the head of the Women's Missionary Society and was prim and proper. Um, well, she was just a stuffy old lady is what she was. <clears throat> and she came marching up to the front door, knocked on the door. And my mother was doing something and so my grandfather saw this woman. And my grandfather, because of his nature, his sense of humor, decided he would have some fun. The book that he loved to read to David was a book that, if you press the pages, there would be the sound of an animal. And so you would learn not only what the animal was, but what it sounded like. And so my grandfather, we called him Pop, had a great idea. He took that book. Because, you see, if you put the book together and you put it under the cushion of the best chair in the little living room which he promptly guided her to and invited her to sit down. And when she did, if you press all the pages together, it makes a rather rude sound. <laughs> so my grandfather did that to my mother uh, and to this poor lady, and then he escaped. <laughs> and if some of you knew my mother, and um, you know you don't mess with Texas, you don't mess with Betty Wilbanks either. So she came looking for him. And uh, he was in the garage, carport, carport, leaning against the wall laughing. And that's what my dad found when he came home for lunch that day. His father leaning against the carport wall, bent over laughing, and Betty Wilbanks doing like this. So the point of all that is to say, Gary, I don't have that book anymore, but I'm going to go buy one, give it to you, so that at just the right time you can slip it in a cushion where Beatrice can sit on it. 
I want to bracket uh, these moments with you uh, with prayer. Um, and I want you to, um, to bow with me for just a moment. And I want you to just, first of all, I want you to just take a deep, deep breath. Just breathe in, breathe out. Did, would you do that? Just do it right now. Some of you are stressed. You have been hard at work. Um, perhaps you've been working to get all of this done for the anniversary. Um, maybe this has been a tough week for you for any number of reasons. Maybe there are things going on in your life that are just really hard right now. And maybe you've just been so busy that you hadn't stopped, you hadn't spent any time with the Lord. Um, you just kind of on automatic. I want to ask two questions this morning. And I want you to take me seriously. Here's the first question. What do you want from God right now? If you could ask anything of him, what do you want from God right now? And now I want you to direct a question to him. I started my day this way. I've tried to start my days this way recently, and it's, it's made a difference in me. And here it is. God, what do you want from me? What do you want from me right now? Father, your people are gathered. We have been worshiping. But in these moments of quiet, speak to us. Tell us what you want. More obedience? Perhaps. More attention? You'd love that. More time? You never get enough from us. Or it could just... Could it just be that you want love? You want us to love you. In these next few moments, may we just bask in your love and may you bask in ours. In the matchless name of Christ, amen. From God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. But you are God's field, God's building. There are two images that Paul uses here, I think, that are interesting. One is the the idea of the field. Oftentimes we read in the scripture about this agricultural setting that so many of the people in Bible times knew as their context. Working in a field, many of us perhaps have never had the experience of working on a farm. 
but some of us have come from that heritage. We know how hard that work is, but how necessary it is. So Paul says that planting and watering, this, this process is not separate, it's connected. And what I want to talk to you today about are connections. Paul says that it's God behind it all. He brings the harvest But there is a partnership that you and I participate in that is so incredible. That he believes so much in you and in me that he would say, come alongside. Let's do something great together. And then in verses 10 and 11. According to the grace of God which is given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. A second image, a building. Uh, One of the things that Gary and I and others have learned is that in seminary, they keep really quiet about building programs and capital campaigns. They don't tell you that you have to be involved in these things. And typically they will come to you and say, now pastor, you need to lead the way. What is it that we are building? Peter uses a similar image in his letter when he talks about living stones. This this isn't Southside Baptist Church. Yes, it's located on the corner of Atlantic and Hendricks, but this isn't the church. You are. Peter says we are living stones. That God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. I don't know if you've thought of yourself that way. But that's how God thinks of you. A nation of priests, as Peter will write a little later. You are a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light what kind of building are you helping to build someone visited the scene of a cathedral being erected in one of the great capitals of Europe and he went from workman to workman to ask what each one was involved in some were experts in woodworking and some others in stained glass and others who had other specialties but And each one would speak of his specialty as he was questioned by the visitor until he finally came to one who was working on a spire way, way up in the sky. And he was working on on the ground before it was lifted. And he asked him, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. What kind of building are you helping to build? Gary spoke of our our lineage, and I want to remind you just quickly of a couple of things. Remember that our connection isn't just to 1939. It goes far beyond Jesus writing or speaking, recorded by John in his gospel in chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and knows And I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not of this sheep fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, 
and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Have you ever wondered, what's this other flock? Who are these other sheep? Well, in the high priestly prayer recorded in John in chapter 17, this is what Jesus prayed. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am you. Did you know you were in the Bible? Some of you didn't know you were that old. Paul reminded us that God is still at work. There's this construction theme throughout Scripture. It tells us about how God, this wonderful God, keeps building. And in Hebrews chapter 11, there is this roll call of faith. And that chapter closes with these words, All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, and yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. So could it possibly be that we are adding to the great story that is unfolding? There are chapters that have been written, but there are yet chapters to be written. And I love the framing of this, particularly for us on our 75th anniversary here at Southside, that we remember we remember so many upon whose shoulders we stand. Listening to Judy's words last night, thinking about the Davis family, so many others. I spoke to a number of people last night, and they said, we wish we could be there tomorrow, but we have to serve in our churches. And I thought, yeah, that is awesome. That across this city there are people who are expanding the kingdom of God because this isn't a church thing, this is a kingdom thing. And if you believe otherwise, I want you to lift your eyes to see something greater and grander. And I thought about that picture we took in here. Did you feel any other presence here? My dad, who's used, he and mom, when they would come to sit over there where Kim and and Andy and Jordan are sitting right now. And Dad would come in this, in this room and he would just spend a moment. And he would tell me, he would say, there's something different about this place. He said, the Spirit is in here. And I feel it every time I come. He wasn't talking about a son. He was talking about a church. He was talking about a spiritual temple that's being built by living stones. Last night, I, I had a hard time getting to sleep, and I was, I was thinking about people who would, who would be standing by us and looking over our shoulders as we stood here to take a picture. If I started naming names, first of all, I'd break out into tears, and secondly, I'd miss so many, so many wonderful people, so many people who believe not just in a church, but in a vision. What did things look like in 1939? Well, much of the world and the United States still trying to emerge from the devastation of the Great Depression. In 1939, there were some distractions. 
In the midst of hard times, there was the release of Gone with the Wind and the Wizard of Oz. The New York Yankees swept the Cincinnati Reds in the World Series in 1939. Ted Williams, some of you have never heard his name. One of the greatest hitters who ever played the game. Started his career in 1939. Lou Gehrig retired, suffering from ALS in 1939. Oregon defeated Ohio State for the first NCAA basketball championship. Al Capone was released from Alcatraz in 1939. See all this wonderful stuff you can tell your friends this week? (laughs) John Steinbeck published his novel, The Grapes of Wrath. And here's one I know you wanted to know about. The Beer Barrel Polka was number one on the pop singles list. (laughs) Frank Sinatra made his recording debut this year, 1939. Albert Einstein went into the White House, sat down with... Franklin Delano Roosevelt and warned him that the development of the atomic bomb was not far away. LaGuardia Airport opened in New York City. Nylon stockings go on sale for the first time. (laughs) Kate Smith sang God Bless America for the very first time in 1939. Comic strip Superman's published for the first time. And Ernest Housing of Wisconsin, remember this name, Ernest Housing of Wisconsin set the world record for chicken plucking in 4.4 seconds. (laughs) And then he went to work for Beach Road Chicken. I think. Unemployment in America was just over 17%. The average cost of a new house, about $3,800. An average wage, annual wage, a little over $1,700. You know what a gallon of gas cost in 1939? $0.10. It's time for a throwback Thursday, I think. What are you? (laughs) Loaf of bread was $0.08. Pound of hamburger was $0.14. A new car cost you about $700. But even as the World Fair opened in New York that year, war clouds were gathering. They weren't just gathering, they were thickening in Europe and Asia. Hitler was unleashing his Nazi war machine against country after country. The start of World War II could be marked by the invasion of Poland on September the 1st, 1939, followed two days later by the declaration of war by Great Britain and France. It had begun. It affected Jacksonville because Jacksonville, Jacksonville's military community began in earnest to prepare. It was going to be a matter of time, but it was going to happen. Thousands of sailors, airmen, marines, soldiers would serve here. Many would live, work, and retire here. The Gateway of the South opened the door to the boom in development that was, that was slow during World War II but would begin soon to pick up after 1945. And as been mentioned, Southside was born, the merger of two churches in January of 1939. The south bank of the river needed a church, and the visionaries who accepted the mission are the ones, again, upon whose shoulders we now stand. One of those soldiers who came home from World War II served in the European theater, ended his tour in the country of Czechoslovakia, 
a warrant officer of the 358th Infantry Regiment in the 90th Division. He was eager to get back home. There was a young lady waiting for him. He got back to the States on January the 6th, 1946. I don't know how he did it, but he got to northwest Alabama, Florence, Alabama, so that he and a young lady could be married in her home on January the 12th, 1946. On their honeymoon, they planned to come to Florida, and they planned to stop in Jacksonville. While he was serving as a leader in Baptist Student Ministry, or at that point, the Union, Baptist Student Union in Alabama, he got to know a man who held a position as state Sunday school director in Alabama, but he got a promotion, and he moved to Florida, and he became the executive director of the Florida Baptist Convention, and he joined a church not far from the Florida Baptist Convention, a church called Southside. His name was Dr. John McGuire. After this young soldier, this veteran, visited with Dr. McGuire, he was introduced to Reverend Harrington, who was the pastor of Southside. An arrangement was made, and he became the director of education and music at Southside Baptist Church. He and his new bride moved here. This was his first ministry position. They lived in a garage apartment on River Oaks Road. You can still see it. I don't know what happened to the statue. I think it's gone. (laughs) Oliver and Betty Wilbanks had found their home. They built lasting, lifelong relationships among people here that we still call friends. September the 22nd, 1947, their first son was born, David Howell Wilbanks. He's here today with his wife, Kelly. Not too long after David was born, Oliver Wilbanks accepted a new position with the First Baptist Church of Tampa. I don't know what David did. He was only six weeks old, but it must have been pretty bad because he had to get out of town fairly quickly. (laughs) Two more sons would join the family, Mark born in Tampa and John born in Atlanta. Both of them would find their way to Jacksonville. One would be called to serve Southside as pastor. The other would bring and raise his family here, serving as a lay leader while beginning his work that he continues at Baptist Hospital. Connections. I can't escape them, and I don't want to. I was extended the honor of being asked to speak today, and I can't tell you what that privilege means to all of us. Our father and mother served here. David was born here. And I was privileged to pastor here for 17 years. John has made a tremendous impact in both church and community here. Our children, Matt, Julie, and Ashley, Andy, and Jordan, made their professions of faith and were baptized right here. Our wives, Kim and Janet, ministered here and found also lifelong friends among this congregation. While we were here, a young man was growing up at Southside. He displayed wonderful talent. But few of any of us could dream of the day that God would say, Gary, I need you, and I want to put you right here. And so Gary came, Gary and Sherry, sharing a ministry to plan a vision to help revitalize and renew a church 
bless people with their love for the Lord, for their desire to serve. I'll take you back just for a few moments, and this journey down memory lane will end soon, I promise. In the mid-80s, Southside was looking for Pastor Cornelius Davis, had just completed his ministry here, and the search was on. The guy in the seersucker jacket who came up here to pray a little while ago, George Borders, chaired the committee, and some of that committee are here today. They began their search with enthusiasm and optimism. They looked in the usual places, asked for recommendations, received resumes, checked with seminaries, visited churches. They looked everywhere. They got close a time or two, but nothing seemed to pan out. They opened their search. They scoured directories, phone books, consulted psychics, read horoscopes, begged on street corners, sent signals into outer space. They had a pile of resumes and looked at hundreds, thousands, millions. No go. Then a man who had submitted a resume early in the process encouraged them to take a look at that resume one more time. That man... That man was the same man who invited that young army veteran to come to Jacksonville on his honeymoon. That man was John McGuire. The man he suggested to the committee was the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Tallahassee. He was 34, married to a Tallahassee girl. They had one son, were expecting their second child. He had no senior pastor experience, no advanced doctoral degree. Well, thought the committee, we've looked everywhere else. (laughs) Why not? He's a rookie, and we can train him. We're pretty good at that, Gary, finding rookies and training them. There are no perfect churches and certainly no perfect pastors. The south side was perfect for a young man trying to figure out what God wanted to do in and through his life. He found a loving, encouraging, patient, and mature congregation who needed to believe yet again that the future was a good place to travel together. For Mark Wilbanks, for Gary Weber, for any privilege to serve at Southside. This church has been a place of connection and a place of commitment. Partnerships that span 75 years offer a bright vision of what could be as well as what has been. And as we sang a few moments ago, until the Lord comes or calls us home, we must be about kingdom business. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? What really matters is who Jesus is. And what we sow and what we build is to his glory. In these 75 years, there's been a constant. And the constant isn't, even though there have been long pastorates here, Malcolm Knight, one of my mentors, one of the 
the men I've had so much of the admiration and respect for for all, all these years. He was here for 27 years. You look at the span of, of time and, and you realize that we come and go, but something has to remain the same. So let me ask you, Southside, if the one thing is that which remains the same, and that is, this is God's house, this is his place, is he truly the host of this church, or is he a guest? Do we invite him in from time to time, or do we recognize that we don't have to invite him in here at all, because two or three, and they're more than that, who gather he's here. This is his home, and he's invited you to be a part of it. Your commitment is to keep building your life as his residence and this church as his temple to his glory and to the world outside these doors where our mission field truly is. That will never change. He's not a guest here. He's the host. May it always be that way. I don't know if you'll be here for the hundredth. I plan to be somewhere else myself. But oh, what a legacy you've been handed. And oh, what a future you have. I wanted to close in prayer today, and I wanted to do this in a directed way. I will not bore you with a lot more, but I do want you to think about how important it is that we not do this on our own, that this is not something that we get smarter about or we get more creative about or we are more talented. No, this is about yielding ourselves. You remember the question, God, what do you want from me? You see, that's a question you can ask all the time. Because as long as you live, there's going to be a right now. So this is what I ask of you today. I'm going to ask the staff of this church, beginning with Gary and Sherry, I want to ask them to stand. And I know that we'd all love to come and wrap our arms around them and, and, and love them. And you do that on your own, and I hope you will. But I want them to stand for just a moment. These, these two people love you. They love your, this church. They want to do what God wants in this church. But they can't do it. They cannot do it if you're not there alongside. Lift up their arms. Pray for wisdom. Seek God's blessing on their lives. So just for a moment, whether you want to look at them and pray or whether you want to close your eyes and pray, These folks need us right now. So bow or pray in your way. And let's ask God to bless these two. Will you pray? Father, a few of us in this room know what it means to lead with this kind of responsibility that Gary and Sherry have. Where they're weak, make them strong. Where they falter, encourage them.
Father, touch their hearts with that unusual grace that I believe you have for the leaders of your church. Their job is not easy. But they didn't surrender to your call because they were seeking something easy. So I pray for them and I bless them. And I'm so grateful that they are stewards here in this wonderful church. Hold them close to your heart, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Now I'd ask the other staff members and those of you who are leaders in this church, lay leaders, you may be a Sunday school teacher, you may be a deacon, you may be a leader of a team, you may lead worship, you might be in prayer ministry, missions, whatever it is. And I would be surprised if we didn't have a whole lot of folks on their feet because a lot of you are serving. But if God's called you to be a leader, I want you on your feet right now. Would you do that? You're a leader here at Southside. I want you on your feet. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of the way that you lead, not just what you do. I'm proud of the fact that God's called you and you've said yes. And I want to pray for you. And I want all of us to pray for you. Father, for every person who has a place of influence in this church, and there are others who ought to be standing that are not today. They're leading and serving and helping and ministering. Some of them are taking care of kids right now. Some of them are working with the Korean people We're so thankful for each one of them. Church can't make it without leaders. And I'm grateful, Lord, that these are people who've said yes. Some of them again and again and again. Thank you for their gifts, for their passion, for their their desire to build this church for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you'd be seated for just a moment. I want to speak to some of you who are sitting on your rear ends and you're not doing anything. I'm not trying to be funny. I've been a pastor for almost 40 years. And I see people. I see people who sit and watch. A number of us in this room played sports. And if you played, you wanted to play. You didn't want to sit and watch somebody else play. I can't understand why you'd want to sit on the bench when you could get in the game. And so I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would raise up in you such a desire, such a discontent, that you can't sit there any longer. You're going to take that that little card that has those 75 items, and you're going to find your place, and you're going to say, you can count on me. I'm ready. And some of you have served before, and you think, well, let's let somebody else do that. Show me that in the Scripture where you get to retire. I want you to serve. You know why? Because the kingdom will be blessed and so will you. Your life will be different. When you come to church, you'll be looking forward to what you're going to do. Or when you're leaving the church to go where your ministry will be, you're saying, God sent me. God has called me. I'm going to do what he asks. So I'm going to pray for you. You don't have to move because you haven't yet. (laughs) But you're going to. You're going to. Father, for this great host of people, everyone gifted by your Holy Spirit, every one of us is called. Oh, incredible. 
that you'd want to be a part with us reaching this world. This is your world. Your heart breaks when you see the suffering. You see the injustice. You see racism. You see prejudice. You see the cruelty that we can pour on to each other. We may not be able to save the world this morning, but we can start with using the talents you've given us. And I pray that you would you would bring about such a, a renewal, a revival of service that this church would never be the same. This church won't be big enough, not for all the people who want to who want to live with their lives fully connected to you and to each other. So I pray for this church and ask your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for the honor. Thank you for these precious moments. And I know I'm past what I'm supposed to do. But I want you to hear once again how much we love you, our family, and we appreciate your love so very much. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you safe.